Good evening. Good evening. Hey, uh, I think I stole about 50 people's shirt. No, this one's mine. Well, um, this is uh, tomorrow morning is our last morning together, and Jessica's going to bring the word tomorrow. So good. So this is my last night to, to, to be up on this stage, but I'll be around. Um, I, I want to say a couple things on behalf of me and Jessica tonight. The first thing is thank you. This, this has been so good for our souls. Uh, being with you, worshiping with you, sitting under the Lord's teaching with you, talking with you at meals, walking with you, um, playing gaga ball with you. That's so fun. So we have felt included, welcomed. Um, somebody actually came up to me and said, I don't know if anyone's told you yet, but I really appreciate you and Jessica coming down to Texas. And I'm like, you're like the 800th person who said that. So thank you. Nobody else come say that to us anymore, please. No, just kidding. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've been so kind. Um, and the second thing I want to say um, before we, we jump into our topic tonight is uh, if you were here at the, in the, for the, kind of the romance Q&A that we had, there was, a, there was a question that we got asked about how to handle the complexity of interracial relationships. And uh, me and Jessica have realized, having had some conversations with uh, some, some of you folks, and have come to realize, for, like, we, 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 this is what we think. Uh, we answered that question like a couple of unwoke white folks. Um, I, I think that we made, and I, Jessica wanted me to speak for her too, but this is, this is me. So this is for both of us, but it's coming with my heat, all right? Um, I, I think that I was dismissive. Um, I think that we made light of the question. Uh, we made it sound like it wasn't a thing and shouldn't really be a thing. Um, and Jessica and I want to apologize for that. That is wrong. Um, this is a conversation that each community of God needs to have. And we will not have it, this conversation will not happen if white pastors like Jessica and I say it ain't no thing. And so that is not what we believe. And I realize that what we, the way we answered that question and, and it, was, it, was, it was neutralizing where neutralizing isn't even God's heart. God delights in diversity. And he, he is excited to see us work that through together. And if the people of God can't take that seriously, then what hope is there for the culture? And so on behalf of Jessica and I, for the insensitivity of our comments, I'm sorry. And I'm encouraged that you have wise, thoughtful, diverse people in this room who can help white people like us learn and move forward in God's kingdom with these things. So... And we have, we have more to learn. We recognize that this sort of podium apology doesn't fix any of that. But it's a part of the process. So, we love you very much. Okay. Let me pray for us. And then we'll get into our topic tonight. Jesus, I thank you that you are discipling us as your people permanently. We continue to learn. We continue to walk with you. We continue to, to, to follow you after your lead, 
And Lord, I thank you for your people who can speak to each other and encourage each other and remind each other of what's true and just be, that's what being your people is like. The, the, the watching world doesn't do that very well. And so may we be exemplary in how we treat each other and how we talk about each other and how we take seriously each other's journeys and processes and stories. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the ways that you are teaching all of us that. Jesus, as we, as we turn to your word tonight to think uh, some more about what it means to be your sent ones, I pray that you would illuminate the text to us. Um, that song about how the, the, this real life, we want to illuminate that. It first has to be illuminated from your word to us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would facilitate that process. And uh, we love you, Jesus. We love you so much. We're counting on you to teach us and to guide us into the ways of truth and wholeness and redemption and to make your kingdom famous for all the people who don't know you yet but actually want you at the very bottom of their soul, that you satisfy their deepest longings. So we love you, Jesus. We're counting on you to be a part of this tonight. Thank you already for joining us and being here. You don't need our invitation but sometimes we do need to recognize that you're with us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we have spent this, this weekend talking about the mission of Jesus, which has been handed down to us, disciple by disciple, which is the good news that God wants to be close to every person you ever see. And he has sent us to make relationships with people where we can talk about this incredible news with them on purpose. Amen. Amen. And we got to watch those internal monologues while we do it, don't we? Who told you that? My wife told you that. <laughs> Tonight, what we're going to look at is what God does to accomplish his mission. We've talked a lot about our side of the equation. What does God expect us to do as we participate in this process? Tonight, we're going to talk about what does God do to make this mission actually possible? It sounds a bit outlandish. So what's his side of the equation for saving the world? What's his role in using our fairly small attempts, let's be honest, to make all things new? Okay? So to do that, I actually want to start with a little bit of straight-up heresy. Does that sound good? <laughs> You're not supposed to cheer about that. <laughs> no, don't only tell us the truth, Jeff. Here's some heresy for you. There's a really common phrase, which is a dangerous twist on a very important part of scripture. And the heresy is this. God will not give you more than you can handle. Anybody else ever heard this? Oh, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can handle. This heresy is a twist on a text from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, where Paul, you guys can look it up for yourself sometime, where Paul is trying to help Christians who are giving up on their battle of, against sin. The proper context for the verse is you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, as Christians dealing with sin, we can no longer say, I just couldn't help myself. It's just not True, God's word says temptation is no longer irresistible for those who are in Christ. That's some good news. But this excellent verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, about temptation to sin has been pulled out of context and expanded to cover all of life. God will never give you more than you can handle? Bogus! 
He does it all the time. Try telling Moses, don't worry, Mo. God will never give you more than you can handle. That's his profile pic. Right? Go face off with the most powerful empire on earth with nothing but your brother and a stick. Or when Israel finally leaves Egypt, Moses comes up against the Red Sea. He's like, um, Lord, there's a sea in the way. And what's God say? God says, take them through. Yeah, Lord, um, but the sea. <laughs> and the Lord steps in powerfully and gets Israel across, right? I'm sure, sure, at the end of his life, Moses said, did, did not say, Golly, I'm sure glad God never gave me more than I could handle. Are you kidding me? And Jesus is no different. He is exactly like his father, always calling people to do more than they can possibly accomplish themselves. Remember the story where 5,000 men and their families came to listen to Jesus for the whole day and they got hungry, as men and their families tend to do? The disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you gotta send these people to McDonald's, man. They have not eaten food all day. They are hungry. And what's Jesus say? Outlandish. You give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, Does this guy know math? He's like, Bring me what you have. And they're like, What we have? We have this one little boy's lunch. Are we allowed to take this kid's lunch? Is that okay in God's new kingdom? We just take food from children? Okay, Jesus, here's some fish and some bread. That's all they've got for all these people. But they obey. And they offer him the lame stuff that they have. And he turns it into more than they could have asked for or imagined. Right? You ever had an experience like that? Where you put your sort of meager, small efforts of obedience in the hands of our mighty God and watched him work wonders with it? There's a group down in California. You know, we send uh, mission trips down here on our spring break. We call them SSI trips. There's a couple coming down here to hang out with y'all next, qu- next quarter. Excited. There's a group we visit down in California. And they do this exercise. They call it free spiritual reading. The title of it is, is, is to draw people in for, who, are, who have interest. And so it stirs interest and people come up to these, what, free spiritual reading? What's that about? I thought that was like Ouija boards and like magic stuff. These Christians are doing this? What's that all about? And when they come over, you explain, okay, this isn't like fortune telling them that, but we're Christians and we believe that God really does want to communicate with you. So we are going to pray for you, and then we're going to see if God speaks to you. So we'll be praying for you, and if anything comes to mind that we think, oh, this might be for this person, we're just going to share that with you and see what happens. We promise not to fake it. We won't, we won't just say, like, oh, I'm going to make something up, so it sounds cool. We promise that if we hear something, we'll, we'll pray it for you. If not, we'll just bless you with prayer, and you can go on your way. People, most people are like, okay, sounds fine. So here's the deal. I was totally not into this. I thought it was hokey. I thought it felt a little bit like spiritually forced, kind of like I'm going to twist God's arm to do something to show you who he is. Ugh, I didn't really like it. But the students who were invited to do it were being hosted by this other community. I'm kind of like, well, it's probably just more my bad attitude than anything, so I'll, I'll give it a whirl, Lord. 
I think, I think my prayer was, you know what, Lord, whatever. <laughs> Deep, profound. <laughs> I thought, oh, let's just give it a try. I'll, I'll, I want to model a good attitude for my students. Thankfully, they're not in my head. See my terrible attitude. Let me give it away. So I sit down at this table, and a guy sits down across from me. And he's like, so how, how's this work? And I'm like, well, it kind of works like this, I guess. Let me just explain. In my head, I'm like, I don't even think this is going to do anything. What in the world? So let me just, let me just we'll take your hands across the table, and we'll just, we'll just we'll sit in the table. I'll just, I'll just pray and see if the Lord wants to say anything to you, okay? So let me just, I'm just praying in my mind, and I promise not to make it weird if I don't hear anything, and we'll just, you know, I was so lame about it. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the table, and I'm like, all right, Lord, what do you want to say to this guy? And suddenly... I knew exactly what I was supposed to say to this guy. It was like this list of thoughts came into my head and I was moved emotionally by them. I got like choked up about the realities in this guy's life. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started praying for him. And I started praying. Suddenly it was like I knew what God's heart for him was. And I told him, I said, you know what? God is your father And he, you have got to know this. I'm crying. I said, you have got to know that he is so proud of you. And and the the hands start shaking. I look up, and he is sobbing. And he says, how did you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this worked. (laughs) He had just had a conversation with his dad on the phone, chewing him out. Because he was just starting to get into a serious relationship with Jesus, and his dad had just told him on the phone he was throwing his life away. It's a good thing that God never gives me more than I can handle, right? That was way out of my league, way beyond what I was. I mean, the the, the little lunch that I brought him was like rotten and shriveled. Like, okay, Lord. And he, because he has an interest in blessing that guy that morning, because God knows he just got off the phone with his dad. He says, I need to tell him I'm his father, his true father, and I am proud of the decisions he's making. And you need to tell him that, whatever your attitude is, Jeff. (laughs) My clunky, reluctant obedience. That's what God does. He is always taking our mediocre efforts and resources, even when we think they're pretty cool. Even when we're like, yeah, that was a good one. My attitude was right. I was pretty awesome. And look what the Lord is going to do. You've already lost all kinds of cred on your little service action because of your attitude in your heart, your pride. But even when we think it's been great, it's probably not that great, and God uses it anyway. It's amazing. He's been doing this the the whole way throughout human history. Those who follow God and are up close and personal with how much we need his intervention for the life he's called us to 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 live are very often aware of, of that kind of dependence. If you read in the scriptures, it's often that his servants are nervous in the Old Testament. They're nervous that, he's, that God is going to peace out and leave them to try to figure out their obedience on their own. There's this verse in, in Exodus where Moses, it's time for uh, them to move camp, to pack up their, their tented camp and move on. And Moses in verse 30, uh, chapter 33, verse 15 says, Then Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Don't make us do this without you. Moses was in touch 
with the fact that he knew God was asking him to do more than he could handle, and he could not do it without God. King David had the same fear. If you, if you study the life of King David, you'll, you'll, you'll see that he was a, a brilliant war commander, a, a man who loved Jesus with his whole, uh, loved God with his whole heart. In fact, he's, he's described that way throughout the scriptures, but he, he commits a heinous crime at one point in his relationship with God and his, in his leadership over Israel. Uh, he sleeps with one of his soldiers' wives and then kills the soldier to cover it up. And he's confronted by the prophet Nathan in this amazing, like, whew, it's, a, it's a powerful encounter with his own sin. And then in Psalm 51, we see his repentance prayer. Now, it takes a little bit of humility to let your repentance prayer become and be used for one of the repentance prayers of your people. That's, that's a pretty honest vulnerability. David had to be at least okay with publicizing a little bit at first. But what he's most afraid of when God confronts him with his horrific sin, he prays in Psalm 51, do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. That's what he's most afraid of. I know I've done something terrible and I'm so sorry, but please don't abandon me. I cannot continue this without you. I can't make this right without you. David knows that he's done something terrible, but he also knows that there's no hope for healing any of it without God's involvement. God's presence, his help, has always been required for what God is up to in the world. So he knows that asking us to live like sent ones for the rest of our lives is impossible without his help. And that even our best efforts will only make a difference if he is in them, if he is partnering with our efforts and making them matter in other people's lives. Jesus knows this. Jesus hands off the mission of God to ridiculous, incompetent people like you and me and expects it to work, knowing that it's more than we can handle. Have you ever thought about what a wild risk that is for him? To leave the mission in the hands of people like you and me. He, does he, how does he expect the mission to succeed like that? Every one of the four Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, these, these pastoral biographies about Jesus, ends, or towards the, towards the very end, ends with a, a sending text. There's a, a commissioning text, a, a sent one text, where we kind of get our sending orders from Jesus as his disciples. And the one at the end of Matthew, the very end of Matthew, starts in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, pause right there. That means that whatever comes next is kind of a big deal. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So far, we're doomed. What? The king of the universe, the emperor of all things created, just told us to go do what he was doing? How? The last phrase is everything. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I will be there for the entire mission. I will be there for the whole project. There will not be one day in the mission where I am not with you doing it too. And doesn't that just sound like the kind of thing God would say? 
the God whose historic trajectory is to be close to his image bearers. If you're nervous or shy about building friendships with people you don't know yet, Jesus wants you to hear this. He is with you. You will not be doing this by yourself. You are not alone. Or if you're loud and awkward like me and your words get you in trouble and you're worried you'll push people away by how annoying you are, too many people are nodding like, yeah, Jeff, that's true, man. <laughs> so it's honest. Jesus wants you and me to hear, don't worry. I am in this with you. In fact, I'll be doing most of the work anyway. Let's be real. <laughs> and if you're just about to decide to follow Jesus, but you think, ah, I'm too messed up to be a sent one. I've got too much baggage from my past. I don't know enough yet. I haven't figured out all the answers yet. I don't know if I can talk to people about the decision I'm about to make. Jesus wants you to hear, get over it. I've worked with way worse people than you. And in my hands, people like you, brand new folks, make some of the best sent ones around. We are never in this alone. Yes, there are things we are responsible for on this mission. We talked about those yesterday and this weekend. But he does them with us. He makes them powerful. He makes them mighty. He makes them matter. He takes our small efforts and feeds 5,000 families with it. I want to look closer at how Jesus does that. How is it possible for Jesus to have lived 2,000 years ago and yet promised to assist us, to empower us, to make this possible, to say, I'm with you in this process? That's kind of confusing, I think. Here's how Jesus explains it in John 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You see, when Jesus says, another advocate, or another counselor, which is what some translations say, he means, that word another, means one of the same kind. One of the, an exact replica. One who comes and thinks and acts and is motivated by the exact same things Jesus was. Jesus said, the Spirit is so much like me, is so identical to me in the way he will relate with you and speak to you and teach you and comfort you and inspire you and glorify the Father that it will be just like if I was with you. He is exactly like me, so you won't be alone. Somehow Jesus can say in the same breath, I will never leave you and I'll come back to you. Wait, wait, wait. That's the same sentence, Lord. How do you do that? He says, because the spirit I'm giving you is exactly me. I will be with you because my own spirit is in you to do this. 
My very spirit, the one who is in the Trinity with me and my Father, the third member of our holy community, the one who is just as intimate with me as I am with the Father, he will be with you. That word advocate or counselor in Greek is paraclete. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly because I don't know Greek. Paraclete. That works. Paraklata. I don't know. But the first part of that word, para, means to the side of or next to. And kaleo is to call or summon. So a paraclete means one who is called or sent alongside to help or to aid or to guide. In short, to give counsel to someone. Thus the term another counselor or another advocate. Uh, in, in the Greek world, the paraclete was not a foreign term to, to, to the Greek society where, where Jesus is first saying this word. In the Greek world, a paraclete was a friend who stood by another side as a mediator or an intercessor or an advisor or a helper. It's the kind of friend you hope shows up first when you receive really bad news. Or the kind of friend that you want to be best man at your wedding. It's no wonder that Jesus often refers to the Spirit as the gift of my Father. It's so kind of him to be with us. So kind of Jesus to send his deepest, most intimate, most exact, identical friend to be with us, to live in us. Because he's exactly like Jesus. That's how Jesus can say in the same breath, I'm going to my Father and I will be with you always. Here's another way to think about it. At Christmas time, we remember that one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, right? Uh, that translated, that means God with us. Some of our favorite Christmas songs have that, have that word in it. I think it's helpful to think of if Jesus is God with us, then the Holy Spirit is Jesus with us. In exactly the same way, if Jesus is the exact image of God with us in the first century, then the Holy Spirit is the exact, uh, the exact sameness as Jesus with us now. That's how Jesus can say, I'm still pulling the strings on this whole movement. And it's the Spirit of Jesus that does the heavy lifting in our lives as sent ones. You can see yourself as a sent one. And you can be purposeful, relational, and communicative like we talked about. But without the Spirit's power, nothing changes in somebody's life. Jesus says in John 16, 7 through 8, If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin. He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words... It's the spirit who works on the insides of people where you and I can never get to. It's the spirit who convinces people of what sin is. That something's wrong, that something's off, that something's broken about their behavior and dissatisfies them with the way things are. When someone watches the news and says, ah, that should not be, that's the spirit saying, I know. I told you that. You're right, that's unjust. Where does that sensation come from? It comes from me. I made you, and I'm, I'm, I'm heating up that part of your conscience that says, uh-uh, that shouldn't be the way it is. No matter what your religious worldview is, 
There are things that the Spirit says, mm, you know, you and I both know, that's destructive. That should not be. It's the Spirit who convinces people of what it means to be in right relationship in every direction. That's what righteousness is. Right relationship with God, right relationship with other people, and with the rest of creation. There's a sense that something's off in this world. And it's not just something's off, but I actually have a vision for what it could be. Right? That's righteousness. It's not just this, it's broken, but I think there might be a fix. Both those convictions come from the Holy Spirit. That's what he's up to in people's lives. And it's the Spirit who convinces people that judgment's coming. That this difference of brokenness and possible redemption matters, and there are consequences for which side you pick. That there's a time clock on our opportunity to decide to follow him. That there's a shelf life to being alive. And after that, that's it. The Spirit is the only one who can do that. I certainly cannot change anybody's heart. Oh, I wish I could. I have three children. <laughs> I would love when I see one of my kids be mean to another kid. I'm like, what? That is so awful. I would love to just reach inside and be like, adjust, dial, twist, tighten. Ah, perfect. Problem is, I can't even do that with my own heart. I can't speak through all the layers of who they are right down to the warm, gooey, sunny of their humanity and say, this is true. Only God can do that. Only his spirit can do any of that inside me, inside any of you, inside any of the people that we love. Is that my wife with a yes? No, somebody else. I'll sound like my wife. It's like my Northwest lady getting all responsive. That's why Jesus gave us his spirit. That's why Jesus gives us his spirit to live as sent ones. I want to close by talking about this power that Jesus gives us. And it's especially important to talk about as we head back to our campuses after this weekend. There's a point right before Jesus hands off the mission to his original disciples, right after his resurrection, in Luke 24. This is, Luke 24 is kind of Luke's version of that sending text that shows up in each of the four Gospels. Starting in verse 45, Luke, says that, Luke writes this. Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That's cool. I need Jesus to do that a lot. He still does that. 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. If anybody knew the urgency of getting this message out, it was Jesus, right? If anybody cared 
about the images of God across the planet, hearing that God wants to be close to them again. It's the Son of God. And yet, and I think this is instructive for us, he tells them to wait. To wait until they have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus says there is a power available to his disciples. A power that will help us be witnesses of these things. God knows he has given us more than we can handle. And Jesus said we need the Spirit's power to do it. Friends, hear this. Please do not leave this camp without asking for the, for the spirit of God's power to help you live like a sent one. If all we do from this weekend is technique or approach or, or, or strategize, we will not make a difference in people's lives. You can have all kinds of goofy strategy and lame approaches if you have the Spirit's power, you will be amazed at what happens. When Peter is empowered by the Spirit in Acts 2, he goes from being a cocky coward to preaching the sermon of his life and 3,000 people get saved. When Saul is empowered by the Spirit in Acts 9, he becomes Paul later. His blindness is healed and he goes from being an anti-Christian terrorist to the boldest, smartest church planter in church history. I went on a spring break mission trip. That one we were in California where I did the, the, the little prayer at the table thing and God blew my mind. I went on a mission trip with a Mexican freshman named Christian Castro Estrada. Some of you know him. Yeah. He's an intern with us now. Back then the dude was shy, quivery, and when you asked him questions, he was kind of limp. But our first night of the trip, he prayed for the Spirit's power. He said, God, I'm nervous. I'm afraid. This is not my thing. I'm, I, I, tr I tremble about this kind of stuff. I need something from you that's more than what I've got to be on this mission trip. Would you help me? I have never seen someone so changed after a night of prayer. The next day, he was preaching his testimony on campus into a microphone and fielding questions with anyone who asked afterward. Visible transformation. And now he's praying about going to campus ministry. Well, watch out. What could the Spirit do through other small people like you and me? Because when God himself empowers you and me, the possibilities change from what you can do to what he can do. And he can do anything. Christianity started as a backwoods sect of Judaism in the Roman Empire. Within four generations, the Spirit empowering those first Christians as sent ones, Christianity was the official religion of the entire empire. You want to change Texas? You want to change and reach every single campus in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for Jesus? Ask God for the power of his Spirit. Ask him to clothe you with power from on high and just look what he will do. Some of you on smaller campus ministries that are just getting started, you might be small, but hear this. The Spirit loves those odds. You pray. You tell him, Lord, I cannot do this without you. Would you help me by your Spirit and just watch what he will do?
He is thrilled to empower us by his Holy Spirit to clothe you and me with power from on high for the mission of reaching our campuses, of living as sent ones to whoever we meet. And your campuses need Jesus, which means your campuses need you to ask the spirit of Jesus for power to reach them. Because when you say things that are true, and the Spirit's power comes behind what you say with what's true, people are transformed and changed, and they actually meet him. None of us, you and me, we can't do anything to save anybody except obey Jesus and ask for his Spirit to empower our obedience and make it magic. So here's what I'd like to do. If you're comfortable, you can participate at your own comfort level. What I want you to do is I want you to turn to some kind of pair off, neighbor up, and I want you to pray for each other as sent ones. And I want you to pray that the spirit of Jesus would empower the person you're praying for. Now, again, if you're not comfortable, just say, ah, that's not my thing. I'll just watch. Is that cool? That's totally fine. But I want you guys to pray that Jesus would clothe you with power from on high. Yeah, introduce yourselves. And for a couple minutes, just pray. After a couple minutes, worship team, you can come up.